The views and opinions expressed on Smack My Pitch Up are those of the panelists and not that of the GUI Media Network or associated brands and sponsors. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is rated R for violence, language, and nudity, because clothing is a prison and society will not cage me. In a world with too many reboots and remakes, two men will stop it on nothing to make it even worse. This is Smack My Pitch Up. Geeks, and welcome to a long overdue episode of Smack My Pitch Up, the show that reboots, remakes, reimagines, sequels, sidequels, and adapts some of your favorite and least favorite properties from film, television, and what have you. And Tondi, we're back. We're back. We're back. Yay. <laughs> Thank you so much to our longtime listeners for being patient with us. There's been a lot of moving and shaking going on over at the network and also figuring out how to get all the stuff we're doing to fit and so we can be more consistent with our releases. And so for this episode, this is a slight tweak on our previous format that's going to make this a much tighter show, which allows us to record more consistently. So hopefully moving forward, we're going to have like weekly releases for you of this. And that's a good thing. It is a great thing. So this show was around an hour to an hour 15. We are shortening that by one of us each week doing a real take on the remakes and one of us doing the remix weirdo outside the box take on it. So we're just, instead of four versions of the same movie, we're taking it down to two. So it's a lot more manageable. I think, honestly, it's going to be a more fun show to have it a little bit tighter like that. So Yeah, because everybody likes it tight. Yeah! And speaking <laughs> of tight, we are going into a tight action comedy? I mean, yeah, but only... An action comedy in the vein of the idea that all 90s movies fall into this genre. When Sean Connery goes, was it losers think about... Go home to fuck the prom queen or whatever, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Sean Connery is just rubbing his balls all over this movie, just spreading his musk everywhere. No fucks given whatsoever. He's not doing a bad job, it's just that he's clearly not taking this seriously one No, he has exactly the right tone... For what that movie is, I would say that as an understated for him character, it's Nick Cage that could bring it up a notch. And he's still perfect. The movie, for what it is, for the time in which it came out and what it does in cinema is pretty much perfect. But yeah, the Nick Cage we know is really understated in The Rock. Definitely. And that is the movie that we're talking about this week. The Rock, the Michael Bay 1996, I want to say, film. By the way, it's pitch smacked on Twitter and Facebook. If you want to interact with us on the social medias, tell us what we're doing wrong or how you like the new format or what we're doing right. I would like that as well. Or not, you like the silky sound of our voices. Ooh, dulcet tones. (laughs) Our dulcet tones, like (laughs) sweet caramel. Oozing all over (laughs) Nicolas Cage, usually. The Rock, it is a pure example of what Michael Bay is good at, which is just making really dumb, really straight, straightforward, blow them up action adventure movies. 
ridiculous nonsense spectacle. You know, the, the Rock is, even though it's an early Michael Bay movie, it's super indicative of his style, which is like quick cuts and like no sense of spatial geography. Shit's all over the place. It could be taking place on the ceiling or like, I don't know, in Hong Kong and then California and then New York. It could be anywhere, but you don't care because it's about the energy of the scene. And there's plenty of energy in this. Well, since I've seen The Rock, it surprised me how many very well-known actors had like very brief roles in this yeah. film. You've got the candy man himself, Tony Todd, that's in like two scenes. Yeah, he's one of the, the Marine guys, one of the military guys. And he's got just one real scene that he has where he's like talking about how we're not, this isn't a threat. We will do this. We will blow up a bunch of people. And that's his main moment in the film. Fucking Candyman gets maybe 45 seconds of screen time in this movie. Yep, at random Bokeen Woodbine appearance. That's and, right. Yeah. I didn't even realize he was in this movie until about three quarters of the way through watching it. And then yeah. he just pops up randomly. You've got, of course, there's uh, Michael Bean dying almost immediately, as, as he's wants to do. Yeah, as, soon as they do the incursion, boom, gone. David Morse, who I actually knew David Morse from St. Elsewhere, because that's how old I am. David <laughs> Morse is just, yeah, just in that piece. And he has a little bit more time on screen, but not still not much. I mean, he's yep. not doing a ton. John Spencer, as uh, director Womack, is a relatively well-known actor as well. And he may have been in there for a day because most of his role was just looking at a screen and going, no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, William Forsyth. William Forsyth, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, there, there's a lot of big names, but like for the John C. McGinley. That's, he was in like two seconds of it as like the weird gadget guy, which yeah. becomes a trope in a lot of other Michael Bay movies is the guy that makes like contraptions and shit. But he does one and it doesn't even really pay off. Yeah. <laughs> he like sets it up. But he's in of, there. Yeah. It's, it's just, just 90s guys. It's, it's these actors that we're all like, oh, I, I know this guy so well. It's because it's. 30 years later and yep. yeah <laughs> they've had long and storied careers at this point as much as this is pretty straight ahead there's no surprises really in this movie it's still an enjoyable ride you've got the cheesy one-liners throughout you've got big blow em up action shoot em up sequences going through the sewers and stuff of alcatraz i didn't realize that alcatraz was built on a underground mining roller coaster but <laughs> i didn't like all Fun 90s movie without a fun underground 90s roller coaster. Okay, well, this could be mashed up with Temple of Doom if the tracks were long <laughs> enough. You know, what the fuck? I forgot about that completely. And then that started happening. What were they making the prisoners do on Alcatraz? There's caverns. There's yeah, like, and why are there random spinning blades of doom? Because there are. <laughs> I can just imagine Alcatraz when it was working that there's people in the mines of Alcatraz. Mm, so I think maybe it was just an amusement park. That's how they were paying for the prison. They had an amusement yeah, right. park that went underneath the prison. The most terrifying amusement park you can think of. <laughs> Come on, get on the ride, little kid. <laughs> you took a wrong turn on the coaster, and now you're getting molested. This ride's called the Birdman of Alcatraz, <laughs> where we just launch you via slingshot into the ocean. Yeah, it, there, there's so much nonsense, but the thing is, like... You're not supposed to care. Like you, you you're you no, you're can't. not. Not for any Michael Bay movie. No, you cannot examine a Michael Bay movie with any level of seriousness because it'll just completely fall apart if you do. Physics don't really matter. 
yeah, like you said, directions don't matter. You you would not be able to map out Alcatraz by this movie by any stretch and of the imagination. Because Michael Bay is selling a feeling. He's not selling a narrative. He's selling a feeling. He wants you to feel the energy of the scenes that he strung together seemingly haphazardly, and he's successful at that. The one thing that is different in this movie versus a lot of his other films is there's like this low sometimes not so low key, like hyper nationalism that really peppers in through a lot of his films. And mm-hmm. in this film, it's highly critical of the American government. It's how they abandon their soldiers. Yeah. Yeah. And it's on all ends. You've got the imprisoned without a trial British spy. You've got the soldiers that are fighting for, you know, for basically benefits for the fallen soldiers. Nobody thinks the government's doing a good job. And then you've got, you know, the, the director, Womack that is a piece of shit clearly and everybody knows he's a piece of shit like even Nicolas Cage who is a straight laced by the rule book guy by the end of it is just like I don't know like fuck this guy he was vaporized just totally down to lie to the government by the end well, of it you know Nick or Michael Bay's real thing is just he he is his main interest is the guys who do the work so generally just it's it's not the guys in the chair it's the guys who do the work and that's his love of soldiers, too. Those are the guys out in the field who do the work. Mm-hmm. So he feels that they deserve the respect. And that's that's true through all his movies. It's the guys who actually are out in the field getting their hands dirty. That's who Michael Bay celebrates. Yep. And that's definitely the case in this movie. I guess we're about ready to like dive in. I drew the straw of the real take for this version of The Rock. So I'm going to jump take. in. Real take. The real take. Real take being what we think might actually work for a, a remake or a reimagining of The Rock. And for this, because it's so straight ahead, there's a lot of di- different directions you can take this. But I thought it being a fun action movie, I wanted to kind of continue in that spirit, but maybe add a little bit more social commentary or subtext underneath that uh-huh. classic action like vibe. Is this conversation about the government and how people react to a crooked government? There are people that fight it like straight up 60s style or, you know, being held without parole and like, you know, trying to fight the system by exposing their secrets kind of thing, which is Sean Connery's character. Then you've Mm -hmm. got the hyper militarized, you know, mercenaries that take over Alcatraz that are going to do it by any means necessary. But then you see the infighting on what level they're willing to take it within those mercenaries. Um, You've got Nicolas Cage, who ends up being kind of like the soldier that turns to help the common man by the end of it. There's, there's a lot of different ways people deal with the, the crookedness of the government in this, in this film. And I thought putting a modern lens on it by having those soldiers kind of imitating what we've seen in real life with the right wingers that took over the, what is it? Yellowstone park or what was the park system that they took over back many years oh, ago? The, uh, the cattle guys, the cattle guys yeah. having a little bit of that as the aspect. So it's not just about soldiers. I think, focusing on like VA, something that a a lot of people have more experience with that the veterans affairs in this country are Mm -hmm. miserable. The soldiers that have not lost their life, lost limb (laughs) or their health, their, their mental health uh, that aren't getting the support that they need. So having maybe a collection of soldiers that are retired, that are dealing with VA stuff and being like, this is, this isn't, you know, cool. And, following that same kind of path that Ed Harris's character did Francis Hummel in the, in the original, but it being more about taking care of the soldiers that are still around. 
you know, it's be, it's them and their friends that are, you know, missing limbs. And then you can have a little bit more empathy for these soldiers. As you see, they're all old guys that some of them might have a prosthetic leg or, you know, that these, these are like the former soldiers that have been beaten and hurt that are just trying to get what they're due. And so there's no, they're the bad guy, quote unquote, but not really. You know, and I really wanted to embolden that in the story a little bit more. It wasn't really pushed on too much. Ed Harris ended up being the only good soldier guy at the end because he wasn't willing to kill 70,000 people. <laughs> like, that was his line. I thought it'd be, I think, a, a more complicated win in this movie if this soldiers, like, you kind of were rooting for him. Um, mm-hmm. They're going about things the wrong way, for sure. In this case, it's not going to be like a rocket full of, vaporized you know aerosol uh, kill gas or whatever yeah i think something more simple of just like having an arsenal within range of a major city is enough you don't have to make it super sci-fi fancy stuff just but uh, 90s but 90s right <laughs> alcatraz it's called the rock you have to have it take place on alcatraz that's fine um but i did want to have that conversation about you know when crooked people are in charge they even the most righteous of people end up be at odds with each other instead of the real enemy because, mm-hmm. you know, of who's calling the shots. And that being the tragic underpinning of this story is that everybody's trying to do the right thing. And because they're trying to do the right thing, they end up fighting against each other instead of the person that's really pulling the, the strings. So then the conclusion of getting the microfilm, the microfiche, <laughs> and that being leaked to the press at the end, you know, that's one thing that they didn't want mason or connery's character out for they didn't want him out because they didn't want these secrets stanley nicholas cage's character helps get that information out you know it ends up like at the same at the end of the first black panther where it's not the version that killmonger wanted of domination but there is now wakanda is now part of the world Mm. there is some truth to what the bad guy was fighting for Veteran Affairs gets some of its money, you know, that like some of it goes through or and uh, and and then everybody gets to know who actually killed the bad guys kind of win, but not really. You know, it's a it's just a bittersweet conversation about figuring out that sometimes the enemy isn't your enemy. Mm -hmm. I I would love that to be kind of the undertone, but that not being I mean, it's still at the end of the day, a fucking action movie. And and you want big blow em ups and you want, you know. Everybody knows Kung Fu uh, and everybody shoots guns really good. And I think for this, I really needed to get David Leach in there for it. It seemed like a no brainer brainer. He was one of the directors of the first John Wick. Uh He went on to do Atomic Blonde, Deadpool 2, Hobbs and Shaw and Bullet Train most recently. He has that right balance of being able to do great action sequences, but also having time for the characters to you know, do some yuck yucks in between mm-hmm. and have character development and dialogue. So I thought that that was a really good fit for a remake of the rock was to, I think that would work very well. Actually having seen bullet train recently, I think that's a, that's a fun tone to play with in the modern time in general. Absolutely. And when bullet train very much feels like almost a send up of nineties action movies mm-hmm. to a degree, it has that like silly, action kind of vibe to it so if, if that was applied to a remake of the rock i think in a modern take i think it would fit really really well and then you get to play with all the people that david leach has played with in the past that reappear and do cameos and stuff 
So we've got like General Francis Hummel at Harris's character. I thought Idris Elba would be incredible in that role. Yeah, he was, yeah. he was We're black. canceling the apocalypse. Yes, he, the black Superman of Hobbs and Shaw <laughs> coming out and being just like a a wounded warrior, a, a hardened soldier that wants what's due to him and his brothers. Just makes, I want to see that. I think that would be, and he would probably play it completely straight. Like no winks at the camera overdoing it, which would make all the zaniness around him that much more fun. He is the moral of the story character, you know, so so him playing it straight, that gives that underpinning some weight while still everybody else is able to yakety schmackety do around him. Oh, definitely. And most importantly, as Hummel, he has gravity. Yeah. So if you're doing a serious Hummel, Idris Elba has gravity. And I think, yeah, if we can get him to say cancel the apocalypse at some point, like <laughs> that, that would be great. I'd be super down for that. I'm wondering how often that gets asked on set of something. And it's like, you know, we're not for filming, but just for us. Can you just say canceling can the apocalypse? Say, canceling the apocalypse. He's like, okay, cool. For Wire season three, you know, what, what's happening 20 years later? Let's cancel the apocalypse. But, but can you um, do it in like your British accent? Not the Wire <laughs> accent, but like your British one. Just break into it. Yeah, the joys of fame is that everybody has that one line that people want them to say. So, yeah, we've got Idris Elba as Francis Hummel, the FBI director, Womack. I thought it would be fun. She is in Hobbs and Shaw, but is also she has that she could play like hardline in power person really well. Get Helen Mirren to come in and oh, play yeah. play Womack. I mean, I don't feel like I even need to explain that. She I mean, I had to actually double check. And make sure she did a proper American accent before, because I don't oh, think does she has she done a proper American accent in something. She's actually in the the Yellowstone series or the the prequel series that they have out with like a a like old like Dutch Midwestern kind of accent. But she's also been in a couple other roles with an American accent and sounds American, sounds fine. Yeah. So I just I I couldn't see the FBI director having a British accent. I felt like that was maybe a bridge too far. <laughs> Well, they're <laughs> actors. They're they're prof they're professional actors. British actors are trained to take on those voices, so they can really do just about anything. And British actors classically are pretty good at doing the American accent, so I wasn't that worried. But I just yeah. I couldn't remember her having to do an American accent before, so I just had to check. But yeah, no, she's she's fine. She's good with that. Then we've got Stanley Goodspeed. I went through a couple choices for this one because it's Nicholas fucking Cage. Like there is no way they can do Nicholas Cage. So. Didn't want somebody to do a version of him, but I wanted to do proper justice to the character who he's a lab geek that gets put out in the world to like uh, to deal with this situation. So he's awkward. He doesn't come off as a badass at all. He's kind of gawky. Um, but I also needed an actor that would be able to do some of the action sequence stuff while still seeming gawky. And I thought that Andrew Garfield would be really oh, nice. fun in that role is the really nerdy lab guy that really likes toxins and stuff. And, you know, um, he works really well. Like when, it, when I originally, cause behind the scenes, we actually planned the show a while ago, it didn't come together and now it's coming together again. So when I planned my serious pitch, I had Holt as an idea. I thought and, about him as well. Yeah. And uh, Lakeith Stanfield, which we use all the time. All the, well, cause he's so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Andrew Garfield is a great choice. And it, and it I just, it never came to me that that would be, 
But yeah, that's a great choice. And what's funny is I'm now seeing like the the trajectory between like Nicholas Holt, Lakeith Stanfield, and Andrew Garfield as like a certain type of archetype character. Uh-huh. You know, like you, you just taking it out of the Hot Wheels playset and putting you know, putting it in. <laughs> But yeah, Andrew Garfield, I think he would have a lot of fun in that role. He'd be able to ad-lib a little bit, put some charm, like goofy charm to the character that I think would play off of our Mason character, John John Patrick Mason, played by Sean Connery, relatively well. I want to see this buddy team up is you get, and I checked ages, and this actor is only like five or six years younger than Sean Connery was when he played this role in The Rock. Get Keanu Reeves. To be oh, yeah. John Patrick Mason, um, you just let him get a little bit more grizzled. You know, let that pepper in that beard really kind of shine a little bit more. And then you've got Andrew Garfield and Keanu Reeves like kicking ass on so Alcatraz. Does this version of Mason rub his balls on everything? Because that's not usually Keanu's mo. Is is he a like a a different kind of Mason? Yeah, he's not going to be quite as like fuck this, fuck that kind of attitude so much as more a little more stoic with his, but as Time goes on, he has almost like a maybe older brother kind of energy that he starts developing for Andrew Garfield, where like he he realizes that Andrew Garfield isn't the enemy. You know, he may work for the government, but he's just a lab geek that that was where he had to go for his lab geekery. You know, he's he's not he's not the guy that's, you know, greedy and trying to take over the world kind of energy. He's just a genuinely good person. So he becomes protective of him and kind of lets down his his emotional guard a little bit more around Andrew Garfield specifically. So you have this like balance of them having private moments where they share stuff about their lives and about like or about Mason's, you know, daughter that he wants to spend more time with. And then he goes out and just breaks fucking bad super hard as only Keanu Reeves can. And I want to see that that shift in energy. I think it would be really fun. Then we've got I I only did five castings cuz you've got like the You've got the daughter, but she's in one scene. It doesn't really matter. You've got a couple of the other soldiers that I could have cast, but I, I just figured stick to the main main ones. Carla Pestalozzi, Stanley's, I guess, fiance at this point, is played initially by Vanessa Marcel. I wanted somebody that was like traditionally stunning, but had a little bit of that hotness to her as well. For what's she, what's she from? Oh, Vanessa Marcel is the original actress that played played the role. She was in the original The Rock. Yeah. Carla Pestalozzi is the character. I wanted for somebody to, to pair with Andrew Garfield. I wanted to have kind of like somebody with kind of like an alternative edge to her, but still mm-hmm. a classically just a, a beautiful, you know, woman. So one of my top five crushes, Zazie Beats, put in there, <laughs> I think would be really fun. It's just like the take no shit fiance. No, I'm coming to San Francisco anyway. Fuck you. Like kind of energy. Yeah, be- she's great and you're right. She is uh, she's a beautiful woman, but she does have kind of an alt energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that works works really so, well. Yeah, and I think uh, for some reason I could see her kind of being into the like lanky, gawky Andrew Garfield type, you know, person. Like Andrew Garfield's not a bad-looking dude, but he does have the like classic big Adam's apple, long limb mm-hmm. kind of thing going for him so the 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 body that makes girls say ah but he's got a big dick so that's my casting i think yeah david leach would have a ball doing a version of the rock where the government ends up being the loser at the end of the day but only kind of they're still in charge 
this is one of those movies I feel like is beholden. Like everybody loves it, but it's not untouchable. So I think for what The Rock is, and if you love The Rock, so I don't have any Michael Bay movies that I hold as sacred, but I think that The Rock is a really solid, almost perfect example of a 90s movie. So there are people, I can understand why there are people that are like, The Rock is untouchable, because there are people out there that are like, yeah, The Rock's untouchable. I don't know. I feel that if you're looking at Michael Bay movies that would be untouchable, first you'd have to go with ones that, you know, our original concept. So a very small number of movies there. I'd say bad boys before the rock. Really? Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's probably more people that are like beholden to bad boys. You can't do a bad boys with anybody, but Will Smith and Martin Lawrence, there would be a lot more pushback for, I think bad boys than there would be for the rock. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I don't like the trajectory of the bad boys films. I don't like what that feel like they did Martin Lawrence dirty over the course of time. So Never. I, I kind of, don't like the bad boys yeah, okay. films. I loved the first one. Second one was so-so, although I hear a lot of people say they like the second one better. I never bothered with Bad Boys for Life. It looked like garbage from the trailer. I didn't want to It was the sully. last movie I saw in the era of COVID. So that was the last time I went to the movies for like a year and a half or something. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Ending it's, strong. It's, yeah. yeah. It sucked. People oh, no. love that movie. People really enjoy that movie, but it sucked. Oh, yeah, no, I didn't have any interest. Coming straight from the mouths of madness, I'm Lowdown. I'm F.U. Hunter. Do you love horror? We fucking do. So this is a podcast dedicated to all things in cinematic horror. We're talking movies, television, composers, special effects artists. We're going to fucking cover it. So if you love horror, embrace the madness. My name is Amy Bogard. And I'm Mike the Hobbit. And we are the hosts of Deeply Upsetting, where we use our expertise to answer your most upsetting hypothetical quandaries, such as what non-wigged animal deserves wings? And what body part deserves a secret mouth? Which cryptid is the worst roommate? These questions and more that plague you will be answered on Deeply Upsetting, available anywhere you get your podcasts and at GUIPodcast.com. In a world of blockbuster movies, there's another dimension. The dimension of schlock cinema. Join us at Beautiful Disasters on a journey into the fringe territory of B-movie abandon. We review the flicks that are forgotten or underappreciated to give them a proper place in the annals of celluloid history. I'm the Groots. F.U. Hunter. Your guides at Beautiful Disasters. Come along with us for a fun ride. May May the the schlock be with you. Hey guys, Scotty P here with Smash on your left, and we are the Geek Fathers. That's right, bringing all the trials and tribulations of being a geeky parent. So welcome to our world. And as always, join us or cry. Luckily, Michael Bay does not have his hands all over this next version of The Rock (laughs) that we are going to be delivering to us. Unless he did, unless you want to give him another shot, but I'm intrigued. This can go so many ways. So I'm I'm intrigued to see where you went with this. So uh, my swing for the fences take is something that I actually I had mentioned before, which is The Rock, starring The Rock. Yeah, yeah, it has to. <laughs> what I'm going for with this take is a. It's also a dark action comedy, because that's 
kind of what's popular, but also, it, it you know, it's entertaining. It's like generally entertaining in the modern time. People like action, but they're a little bit depressed, so they're a little bit... Yeah, they, they, they just like that take on things. Not so straightforward, dark action comedy. And I'm going for something indicative of JCVD. I don't know if you remember that movie. I loved that movie. Or like it's a deconstruction of Jean-Claude Van Damme. Mm-hmm. It's not a comedy at all it's very serious because and this character's depressed it through the whole thing but uh, yeah it's 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 kind of a deconstruction of the rock starring the rock and i remember jcvd it was a great movie very much enjoyed it and then there's this moment in it that is unnecessarily artistic in, in, a, in a good way <laughs> when he floats up to the ceiling and then back down he's talking about how the trajectory of his career got sullied with women and drugs and it's being pretty clearly serious about Jean-Claude Van Damme in that moment. And I was just not ready for that. I was just a fun kind of play on his life. And then all of a sudden there's this really real moment in it that just took me off guard. It was great. I, I loved it. Yeah. And the idea that he's not so self-serious that he can actually do a movie like this. You'd mm-hmm. never see Steven Seagal doing anything like that. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> never, <laughs> not, never, never. in a million years. But The Rock, starring The Rock, takes place on a movie set, which happens to be Alcatraz. They are filming Stanley Goodspeed, Stanley The Rock Goodspeed, because that's the the actor that is that The Rock is playing as himself, being himself, is filming actually a historical movie on Alcatraz Island that is about the Native American occupation of the 1960s, where people just took over the island for 19 months yep. and said, this is our homeland or whatever, and it went really badly, but... That's what the movie's about. And he's filming this movie with his opposite in the movie is Jared Leto. Oh, no! Who's playing actor Frank Hummel. Actor Frank Hummel is also a cult leader. Actor Frank Hummel's cult has decided to take over the island. It was all planned from the beginning before they start filming the movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. Nice little touch there is that Frank Hummel is in a... Band called, where did I put that? Oh, Mercurial Skid is the name of the band he leads. You get, you can see a little retrospective of his, of their careers before the, uh, the movie starts. And so he takes over the island. There are families on the island because not normally, but today some of the cast and crew are able to bring their families to the filming. So it becomes a dangerous situation. What happens is that there are arms on the island because they are doing a dramatic recreation of that occupation. So they're using these guns, but there were not supposed to be any live rounds. What Jared Leto's character did was have his people bring in live rounds so they could use those guns to take over the island. And so now there's a danger situation and they're playing basically mouse maze through the Alcatraz prison itself as they try to both dodge Leto and catch up to Leto and the uh, this is the, already the show- a better this is already a better movie than the rock like this is already <laughs> i've already sold at this point this is fantastic so the uh, Sean Connery character is actually one of the consultants that's working the movie he used to be an SAS guy mm-hmm. and he's he's gruff and he's kind of like <laughs> i want to call him evil he's not evil but he's got like a sadistic kind of sensibility gotcha. where he's having fun during this thing because he's ready to fuck some people up. Yeah. And basically he's paired up with the rock in this situation 
And the movie's about The Rock trying to maintain his image through this entire situation and not going like full the movie rock in real life. He's, he sure. doesn't want to hurt anybody. Not because he doesn't want to hurt anybody. He doesn't want to damage his brand by hurting people. And so throughout the movie, Daniel Craig becomes the devil on the Rock's shoulder trying to like coax him more and more <laughs> into getting his hands dirty. And so you've got The Rock kind of fucking up people like more and more throughout the movie. And Daniel Craig is actually shooting people, but he's trying to get The Rock to his level basically as the movie moves on. And there are actors who are playing actors that are in the movie who are part of Jared Leto's cult who represent like the Marines in the original movie. Sure. So we have Miles Teller as the David Morse character, Tom Baxter. And then for the other followers that are in this movie, we have John Boyega and Zach Efron. Bokeem Woodbine, because I always like to bring somebody back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Anthony Ramos, who people might know from, what's the uh, the president, the guy who rap sings, Hamilton. Lin-Manuel Miranda? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Anthony Ramos was in Hamilton. Okay, gotcha. And he was also in the other musical from last year, dancing musical, about the neighborhood. Oh, in the Heights. Something Heights. In the Heights, yes. Yes, okay. That's Anthony Ramos. Oh, Anthony, I know exactly who you're talking about now, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I first encountered him in and She's Gotta Have It, which was a remake of Spike Lee's movie as a TV show on, like, Netflix or something. Um, And then I wanted to add, since this is not actually a prison and it's a movie, I wanted to add a female follower, so Leslie Jones. Oh, yeah. But as it's a violent action comedy, this Leslie Jones is not just doing her Leslie Jones thing, she's actually mean. She's actually fucking up people. I was about to say, you have to have her being one of the most violent, most aggressive. Yeah, she's a monster. Nice. And then I wanted a kid in danger, and I could not find a kid actor who was born before or after, like, 2011. So I settled on Cade Woodward, who was the kid who died in a quiet place, but the kid's, like, 15 years old or something. It's... It's so hard, like, it's so hard unless you watch a lot of TV to identify actual child actors. I will tell you the little bit of the inside baseball of this show is there's some movies that we have not done because there's too many kids in it. Like, finding kid actors that are identifiable where it's actually fun to talk about is really hard. Because that's not where the zeitgeist is for movies now. It, it has been in the past, but it's not there right now. Well, and also us as men in our 40s probably shouldn't have a Rolodex... <laughs> of information about young children actors it's not not really our it's not our specialty that that that, it's not our career path so we should probably uh, yeah i don't don't think that like teen disney and nickelodeon are doing like tween sitcoms anymore either i don't think that's like a a farming ground for that kind of stuff anymore so it's just hard to know these people so now yeah there's a little kid in there things are all the stranger things kids are all in their early they're all like 20 yeah so (laughs) But uh, yeah, there's a little kid in there who uh, The Rock meets early in the movie. Hey, you're here with your parents. Huh? It's great. I want to be just like you, the Stanley, The Rock, Good Speed, or whatever. And then that kid is in danger at the end of the movie, which is the apotheosis, where we have, and it, this is ridiculous on the face of it, but basically we establish early on that Jarrett Leto's character is a martial arts master, as like an ultimate badass. He's like kicking people's ass throughout the movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. But by the end of the movie, the apotheosis is basically the rocks like, all right, I got to save this kid. Fuck it. And 
there's no big fight. It's the rock decides that he's going to save this kid and he kills Jared Leto. He breaks him like Bane. Just like immediately. right off. Yeah. Yeah. He just immediately <laughs> breaks him. Daniel Craig, his uh, character actually takes the rap for it. Cause he's just happy that he got the rock to do this crazy thing. Sure. And I can see this too, of there being some long diatribe that Jared Leto's doing is he pulling his white robe off and exposing like 18 his, abs, his, little, his, his, uh, his skinny guy muscles. Yeah. And he's walking, like looking away from the rock as he's delivering like all this, you know, the power that I have from within and all this shit <laughs> and he turned around and then just screams that like high pitched girl scream as he just gets <laughs> ripped in half and yeah. half. That's what I want to see. <laughs> yes. Please. You know how cathartic that's going to be for some people to just see Jared Leto ripped in half? Uh, oh, so the, many people would love so it. So many people would go to the movie just for that, I think. Because so. at this point, the, uh, the the zeitgeist is such that regular people just don't like Jared Leto. They don't know why. They just know that people don't like Jared Leto, and they don't like him either. But I have a few more actors. Um, okay. David Harbour is the FBI director. Nice. Sophia, okay. Sophia Vergara is Carla. Nice. And uh, John Cho is the uh, FBI special agent in charge. We do get a cameo from the president. It's not a big enough situation that it needs to like cut back to the president over and over again or whatever, but Sam Jackson is the president. Nice. Hell yeah. I was thinking I about, love Sam Jackson. I was thinking about cameos, and I just didn't know where to place them, but clearly with David Leach, uh, there'd be a Ryan Reynolds appearance yeah. somewhere. He, he, some Just minor role, maybe Bokeem Woodbine's character who's in it for like four seconds of the entire movie. Done. Just done, yeah. Or Brad Pitt, like he did in uh, Deadpool 2. Yes, absolutely. That'd be incredible. Yeah, I am so sad this isn't a real movie. That sounds incredible. I would, I would go to the theater in a heartbeat to watch that version. So Yeah, just a good time. Yeah, that sounds so big, dumb, fun, self-aware. And, and The Rock, like, you know, The Rock is a good-natured guy, and his presence as far as his brand is is really good but like that self-awareness that yeah you just come off like you're a promotion machine at this point dude yeah like we all like you but you you're like you're like you're always on selling something or whatever dude it's it's a lot and i would love to see this hesitance where yeah he is a beast he probably could mutilate you but like no i don't actually hurt people that's not in my character i'm <laughs> i sell really... tequila what do you want from yeah, me? right like, dude, I got a kid. I don't want to go to jail. I'm into it. That's fucking fantastic. This, these are these moments on Smack My Pitch Up that are painful when it's something that won't happen. You know, we come as <laughs> a really good concept, and it's just it, it's like great. Now this is a thing that I never get to have. So, so well, thank you. Know, you. Can, can you hold a rainbow in your hand? <laughs> and a rainbow is the rock ripping Jared Leto in half. Yeah, yeah. I think that might be the name of this episode is <laughs> Ripping Jared Leto in Half. All right. We are at the tail end of this episode of Smack My Pitch Up. One mashup that I thought would be kind of fun is that you just replace the giant military uh, coup on Alcatraz with Fight Club with just like the Project Mayhem dudes just trying to sow the seeds of chaos would be kind of fun. Oh, that'd be big fun. I, I could see that. The Longest Yard. <laughs> the Rock with the longest yard. They're playing the football game, and then like a military incursion breaks out. Oh Jesus! <laughs> Adam Sandler, save us all! Oh God, <laughs> doomed, doomed! <laughs> all right, we got one last little bit of stuff to do here. We're talking about our trailers, so I'm gonna do my David Leach action project, and then if you want to follow up with your version here, here we go. 
from the director that brought you John Wick, Atomic Blonde, and Hobbs and Shaw. Gives you a new vision of action insanity. Alcatraz Island off the San Francisco Bay. A place for prisoners or a place for terror <laughs> this summer. <laughs> Stanley Goodspeed, a regular lab schmo, teams up with John Patrick, Patrick Mason, an escape artist, to save the world from a, the deranged intent of General Francis Hummel. Join Idris Elba, Helen Mirren, Andrew Garfield, Keanu Reeves, and featuring Sassy Beats. Who's the winner? Who's the loser? Who's the enemy? The Rock. <laughs> the Rock is all the things. <clears throat> the Rock is different to every person, okay? <laughs> it's not one thing to one person. My Lord and Savior, he just may be a comfort to you. <laughs> Some people, I think, do look at The Rock as their Lord and Savior, honestly, so you're not too yeah. far off. All right, so we've got your, your I think, perfect film that we've got next moving <laughs> oh, forward. Oh, you're too kind. And to did, the who's directing this, your, your version? Oh, oh, yeah, you know what? That is funny. <laughs> John Chu, John M. Chu, okay. he directed Step Up 2, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Jim and the Holograms. Yeah, Crazy Rich Asians, In the Heights, which I can't believe I couldn't come up with that movie because he directed In the Heights. <laughs> I was going for somebody who does like pretty shots and bright colors, like like the children of Michael Bay, but not one of the children of Michael Bay as far as a directorial Got style. Got you. Okay. Cool. 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 All right. So we we are John Chu, definitely reimagining of The Rock. So here we go. What's harder than The Rock? The Rock. Stanley. The Rock. Good speed. In another movie, this time on the island of Alcatraz, but what happens when things get out of control? And crazy-ass Jared Leto takes over the island with his cult. Yes, in this version of The Rock, we have Jared Leto as Frank Hummel. We have Daniel Craig as John Patrick Mason, a shady guy with an SAS past that special forces from Great Britain who's on The Rock's shoulder saying, Do it. Do it. Yeah, The Rock's gonna go hard if he can get past his brand identity. Come on, and let's see how hard it gets on The Rock. That is incredible. <laughs> yes. All right. So thank you so much to my co-host, Andy, for bringing, bringing it hard on this long overdue episode of Smack My Pitch Up. We're back, baby! We're back! And we'll hopefully be releasing, the plan is to be releasing weekly from here on out. So please tell us what you want to hear. Take a look at what we haven't covered, uh, some of your favorite TV shows or movies or what have you. Throw it at us, and we just might do it on an episode. Uh, you can and we'd us love some input from you. 100%, especially with the new format. Let us know how you like it. Uh, we are available through email at geeksundertheinfluence at gmail.com. Just put smack my pitch up in the subject line you can hit us up on pitch smacked both on facebook and twitter 
or hit up the GUI hotline at 804-505-4484. Let us know what you think. Take voicemails and texts on that number. So, And hit up our new account on Key Party. Yeah, <laughs> you are begging for us to have a Key Party account. That's for the, that's pre our first live event. We'll get a Key Party account going. Yay! Uh, yay! <laughs> All right, until next time, I'm Mike the Hobbit. And I'm Tondi. And you just got pitch smacked. In the face. In the face. In the rock. <laughs> In the rocks. Oh, my stones. Oh. GUIPodcast.com. <laughs>